Today on Inside the Ropes, how COVID-19 is affecting your club and a special interview with the one and only Lydia Ko. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. G'day, everybody. Welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode number 156. A very, very unusual Inside the Ropes it is. In this unusual time, um, we're all over the shop. We're adhering to social distancing. It's probably not going to sound the same as it normally does because we're not in a professional broadcast setup, but we're all over the shop and it's the light via my phone and the Skype app on it <laughs> to look at the glorious faces of, well, Justin Falconer is pulling it all together, but you probably won't hear from him. But Alison Whitaker and Mark Hayes, guys, lovely to see you. Such a delight, as ever, to see you, Andy Ma and Mark Hayes. Both of you have dressed up for the occasion, which is lovely. I'm at least here in my Golf Australia polo, ready to go like a true professional. I'm just hopeful for your sake, Andy, that you've got a far bigger shot on your screen of Ali's head than mine. No, you're taking half my screen. And um, apropos of your point, Al, as of tomorrow, I'll be working at home almost exclusively. So... This is as good as it's going to get from a dressing up perspective, I can assure you. And, and uh, for, the re- for the record, Andy, for the record, I do want you to say that I did dress up for this. So even though I'm rocking my Vancouver Canucks gear, if Justin could actually speak, he would vouch for the fact that I have improved drastically in the past half hour. Well, we might have to put some sort of video evidence up of uh, your sartorial elegance, uh, Hazy, on the way through because this is recording. Uh, visual as well as audio. audio. Um, Lydia Co is going to join us on the show. You two, we've had some technical, well, well, I've had some technical difficulties <laughs> at my end. So you two will speak to Lydia uh, in a little while. But I don't really know where to start. I mean, this is such a moving piece. Whatever we talk about now is likely to be redundant within 24 to 48 hours. But um, let, let's go micro before we go macro, you two. Um, golf here. Golf in our neighbourhoods in Australia. Um, I know that you put out a statement on behalf of Golf Australia, Hazy, golf.org.au. People can go and read that. But how are we being impacted um, at our local golf clubs and our local golf courses as we sit here on the 24th of March? Yeah, I think the, the key thing to remember here, Andy, is that Golf Australia, while it's in a position to advise every golfer around Australia or club for that matter, that we don't really have the final say in any of these circumstances. So all we can do is post advisories um, and keep up, up to date with, uh, for clubs as much as we can and for them to pass the information on. And as it happens, uh, while there's obviously some federal edicts, um, generally speaking, it's, uh, it's a state-by-state state set of rules. Uh, so on the website at any given time at golf.org.au, we'll try to have prominent the coronavirus, the COVID-19 update each day and what it means to your club. Essentially right now, without having to go through state by state, is that most places uh, have shut clubhouses um, and still are happy for golf to continue on, provided the the current uh, recommendations around hygiene uh, are considered and adhered to. That includes, I mean, we might talk a bit about this actually, to be honest, because there's some quirky rules and things going on around the world. But uh, generally speaking, we're going to have the distancing, leave the flag in, don't touch the rakes, uh, maybe wear two gloves, go all, go all Tommy Ganey on us, and uh, that sort of thing. 
no clubhouse activity, uh, minimal organisation of competitions in terms of bringing people together and submitting cards. But uh, if you can sneak out there and keep a distance from your playing mates, as you as you probably would anyhow, um, and it's a it's a green light, albeit with some limitations. Have you been to a golf course lately, Al? Have you? I mean, have you picked up a club and have you noticed anything's you know any places that you've been playing golf? No, well, I, I actually have been – I was kind of a little ahead of the curve in terms of the social distancing thing. So this is day eight for me um, just because I thought I'm going to do my part as much as possible. Um, the only time I've been out last week was to do our radio show, um, you know, over in South Melbourne and then went out to the shops and then, you know, went on a date in the park. <laughs> and that's that's literally been that, – that's been the sums of my outings. So um, the interesting thing for me is just in terms of – the management and how the golf courses are almost going to turn into private parks um, in terms of the mentality, I think, of the way that we should be looking at it as though it's a great place to get out and about. Um, you know, obviously you don't want to touch the flags, don't touch the rakes, um, try to stay away from people as much as possible. But there is, I mean, there is a, a little maybe slither of hope that we might be able to retain for a lot of those people in our golfing community a, a sense of, of of normalcy through the game at the moment. And that's where um, my fingers are crossed that kind of everyone t- takes it seriously. No one stuffs it up for everyone else, <laughs> you know, in terms of um, just being really responsible because a lot of the people that play uh, the game are in demographics that are a little bit more at risk as well. That's very true. Uh, I think it's really important, Andy, that even though Golf Australia is urging golf to be played in some respects, we're also very mindful that, some people don't feel comfortable with that. No one should feel pressured into going out to play just to, uh, you know, to adhere to their normal weekly practices. If you don't feel comfortable, don't go. It's simple as that. And, um, and if you do go, as Ellie said, you need to be extremely mindful, not only of your own health, but of those around you and, and their nervousness around at this time. I mean, we're going to look back on this in uh, 20, 30, 40 years and just think about what it is that we actually lived through here. Uh, fingers crossed for everyone listening that, um, you know, it's an extraordinary time. We, you hear everyone waxing on about it. It's not for me to do it. But uh, if we just do what's right for everyone else at this time, I think that's the best thing we can do. I know I can maybe, Andy, just to give you an update on a couple of weird things that are going on in the world yeah. of golf. I know that um, some courses, particularly in the US, have taken to putting, if I explain it to you, like having a, a glass upside down in the cup, so firstly and foremostly, the ball doesn't go into the cup and you don't have to reach in and pick it out. But secondly, there's been a bit of a rule adjustment whereby if it hits the cup, no matter how fast it was going and what angle it was going on, it's declared in the hole. So this could be the chance for a few golfers to really sneak out and post that low score, especially if you're a dodgy putter. So that's not a bad practice. And I, I do, in all seriousness, I, I mean, that is true, by the way, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness um, there's things going around um, I'm not. I, I will check up on this and report back on it by next week. But uh, the, normally, obviously, to have an official card handed in, you need a marker. Um, at this time, I think it's um, to keep distancing and, and everything else going on. Uh, you can actually submit your own card uh, in some instances for handicap purposes. So not have a marker. You mark your own card basically, which is which is interesting. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just all the common sense things. So no. No 2T starts and no shotgun starts so we don't have an influx of people around the clubhouse 
uh, or the pro shop or the practice green, wherever it is that we'll be gathering now, given the clubhouses are largely closed. Um, you know, just basically rules and savvy things to keep crowds at a minimum and distance yeah. between people. So anything other than that, go your hardest. Yeah, spacing between groups, Al. I mean, the clubs are being really smart about this. Cash boxes, you know, um, where you know people aren't handing... Uh, there's the minimal human contact. Sandy Jamison, a great mate from last week, came up with a novel way of using pool boys around um, flag sticks and drop drop the pool boy into the hole, leave the flag in. So you don't need to touch the flag. You put the, the, the that rubber bit of the pool boy at the bottom of the flag stick. It prevents the ball from disappearing into the hole. I mean, it's ingenious what Sandy came up with. I think it's a great um, thing. And at my club, and look, this this... We're probably lucky. I haven't been. I haven't been down there for, for weeks. But um, they were actually. Uh, they had a guy on the gate with a temperature gun because um, a lot of people may not even know they've got this thing. Um, they may be feeling a bit crook and they think I've just got a bit of cold and you know it's sort of that's about the extent of it. But they've got a guy on the gate when you drive in. He whacks you with the temperature gun and if you've got an elevated temperature, hey mate, best you go home. You know, and it's all done. With the um, you know uh, the the um, consideration of members and with the support and, uh, of members as well, so there's a lot of stuff going on around clubs, not only in Australia but around the world, which is trying to keep golf clubs open and the amenity available to to members and players, which I think is a great thing. And just I just hark back to the earlier point, Andy. If you go onto the website, if you're unsure what to do, especially in your own little area or your state or territory, go onto the Golf Australia website, click on the coronavirus latest information, follow it through, see what you can and can't do. Um, it's going to be updated even with the most minute bit of information as soon as it comes to hand. Our club support team are working feverishly, pardon the pun, to to uh, to get this updated for everyone so that we can do what we what a what is good for us in a sporting health spiritual sense, but also uh, in a safety sense. It's uh, it's paramount. Who's desperate for a hit, by the way? I mean, this the mental health side of this, this is really kind of important, I reckon, for a lot of people, particularly, you know, retirees who have got – they're two or three, sometimes four times a week down at the golf club. This is a really important anchor point for a lot of people. Um, so maintaining, Ali, maintaining sort of a, a bit of balance through this and um, a sense of kind of mental well-being, being able to – go through the gate of your golf club, I think it's a really, really important thing. And I'm sure golf clubs are aware of the social sort of um, importance that they play in the lives of a lot of people. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, we, we've talked at length about kind of mental health and golf, I think, in terms of what it can potentially do. Obviously, anytime you can get outdoors safely at the moment, um, even if it's for 15 minutes a day, um, is is something that we should all probably try and do purely from a mental health perspective. Again, keeping all of the rules in mind um, as much as possible and being, uh, I guess, respectful that, you know, I get that not everyone is in a vulnerable demographic, but there's plenty of those that, you know, still occur around us. But, I mean, for me, it's funny. I had this conversation with a friend yesterday about the things that are improving in my life. Um during this you know my guitar's getting better it it wasn't hard to get better from where it was if I'm honest (laughs) like the only way was up 
but you know I'm cooking more I'm talking to people in my family that I haven't caught up with um as much and you know there's a lot of things like I've started home workouts which I and I didn't work out before I was isolated so that's one that's (laughs) it's certainly you know a check mark in in that regard but just trying to look at those things and be as as present in your mind of those things obviously golf's going to be high on that list for a lot of people um and you know you could potentially improve your game during this period um if if our you know social environment allows it andy i'm not sure about you but i'm pretty keen next time we reconvene in the studio to get some of ellie's home cooking and the guitar (laughs) the guitar is a must and the home cooking i don't mean to be this but you got to bring the guitar (laughs) but you should you should probably pen um a theme song for our show (laughs) <laughs> oh there's not i don't think this this thing's gonna go on for long enough for that song to be good enough if, that, if i'm honest <laughs> i can just imagine uh the, the, so, uh, the version let, of the master's the, theme uh, the, 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 yeah, that's what so, I mean. so there's a segue masters <laughs> to october pga championship postponed lpga the ana pushed back knock on effect the tournaments all over the place on the LPGA tour and presumably elsewhere around the world. It's we've seen, and now and now the Olympics. Um, Australia and Canada have said to their athletes, "You're not going." We still await the IOC to make a decision, but increasingly it looks like we're going to try and find a 2021 Northern Summer window for Tokyo. Um, any comment on you know this kind of moving landscape that any of you, either of you two, want to make? I think for me, the the one that I found interesting was um, was the ANA and and potentially Portland moving to later in the year. Um, I liked the fact that they shifted the date, still tried to set a date, and will start presumably organising for that postponed date. Um, because you're seeing a lot of tournaments at the moment, and understandably, because they, you know, the sponsors have their own financial pressures as well, and their own yeah. pressures within their own businesses in terms of organisation and so forth. But I, I really appreciated the fact that they moved it to an actual time, regardless of whether it is undertaken at that point in time. We have no idea what the future holds, really. But I, I have to say, total props to the organisers um, for kind of giving the players a, a small sense of hope in, in doing that, you know, and something to look forward to because it's kind of like the schedule's a little bit wiped at the moment. So um, even though nothing toward the end of the year has been officially cancelled yet, it, you kind of have that feeling. Might get your thoughts on Marina Alex, you guys, in a second and what she went through with her bookings in Augusta. But I just wanted to mention there, Andy, and, and Ali brings up a great point, and Mike wan has been... He always is, but he's been so exemplary in this circumstance. And the little video updates he does on the LPGA Tour website are phenomenal. And he did, went on Golf Channel the other day and actually, uh, I think, I'm not sure if he's asked the question or if he floated the idea, but having two tournaments with their sponsorship money, uh, obviously both being an individual doubt at some stage on a crowded calendar with all the postponed tournaments actually coming together instead of playing for one and a half or $1.8 million that they have a combined tournament with two, 2.8 or three, $3 million. So yeah, you know, I'm sure the sponsors would get great mileage out of that to come together for the, you know, the Whitaker Mark cup or something like that, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But that's a great idea and progressive thinking. And I, and I think they're going about it in it. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to pot the PGA tour, for example, either. I mean, and the European tour is going about it a different way again, but yeah, um, yeah, kudos to the LPGA for what they're doing. I think they're leaders in this. 
Well, what they what they're allowing their players to do is is kind of potentially have a chance to maybe regain some of that inc- income as well by doing that. If they double the purse, you know, they can play less events for more money um, and potentially kind of regain their position within the tour um, far, far quicker as a result. And, I, yeah, I really – I'm with you, actually. I'd, I'd love to see more of that um, going around, provided they're full, full field events. I don't really want to necessarily see that in the limited field events, um, given that a lot of people haven't had their chance – this year to properly qualify into those. Mm. Who wants to tell the Marina Alley story? <laughs> I think that's an Alley special. I mean, Alley knows Marina, so. <laughs> well, what happened was she essentially, she kind of semi-caught wind that, uh, that Augusta and the Masters might be moved to later this year and, um, and tentatively went online, booked, uh, I think it was through maybe through kind of one of the booking sites. It wasn't a direct hit to the hotel, um, but went booked a hotel room and then it got cancelled. And they have actually cancelled all of the rooms in in and around Augusta. If you had a long-standing booking for your 25th an- anniversary and you wanted to go and walk around, uh, the, you know, the outside of Augusta <laughs> National, you, you're not getting it anymore. It's gone. Like it, the, everyone got cancelled. I think even CT Pan, if I'm not, um, if I'm not imagining it, he himself booked him, himself a, a hotel room for that slot, and he's got cancelled too. And they've since then they've I think Jeez. they've I want to say that it's at least four times the rate now. What they're charging per night. It's just amazing to think that um, they can't be more definitive about this. It just creates so much conjecture. And, and uh, the you mentioned the Olympics, and clearly it's not off right now, but the Australian and Canadian teams, for their all intents and purposes, they're done. So one thing we do have to consider there, um, just mixing a whole heap of things together here, Andy, sorry, but is, is how the, uh, the qualification structure applies the players have been working towards, you know, a, a June cutoff here um, for the 2020 Olympics. Uh, do they put all their eggs in that basket and, and potentially miss out if that gets adjusted back? Or do, should they be rewarded for what they've already done? These are some of the logistical problems. Uh, there's so many. There are, there are myriad problems that uh, all the tours and Olympic bodies are facing here. But, um, I, again, to me, plaudits to the LPGA for being uh, on the front foot. I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen more retirement messages if I'm honest you know for, for a lot of the people that are toward the end of their career I was genuinely expecting a couple of people to go all right here's six months gone no golf no nah, maybe I'll just do it now you know and if, if it was something that was potentially on their list at the end of 2020 I mean what's your take on that what would you do you know do you want to stick around to actually go out on a high and, and try and play another event even if it's towards the end of the year or maybe even early next year well, I, th- I think that uh, I mean, we saw it in uh, AFL circles. There's a couple of guys who fear they might have played their last game having just played one for the year. Um, but if you're, the, if you're a PGA Tour professional, for example, and you haven't got any inside information from what they're actually doing, right now you, don't, uh, you haven't budgeted much further forward than, than early May. So I don't know if two months is going to prompt that retirement thing. If someone actually came out and said, mate, we're not golfing until July the 16th, that, then you might see something a bit more stark. Adam Scott's birthday, July the 16th, by the way. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very good day. I can't remember why, Andy. I just For the life of me, I can't remember why. 
Small business. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody just wants to put that in their little diary and send a well wish, that'd be good. Hey, um, let, let's clear a break. Whatever we haven't got to here, we'll get to uh, after we hear from Lydia Co. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. Hopefully you're sticking with us. It's an unusual time and an unusual way that we're putting this show together, but uh, we're delighted to be here. Episode 156, Lydia Co. to join us after the break. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and we're absolutely thrilled. We couldn't be more thrilled. I don't think we've had too many bigger names on our podcast over the years than our next guest, Lydia Coe, who's uh, done a beautiful thing for us all by joining us live, I believe, from Florida. Lydia, welcome along. Hi, how are you? <laughs> uh, we're confused as hell doing this in so many different houses and uses of technology. It's unbelievable, but we're very grateful to have your, you along for the ride. And to be, to be honest, we, I know you're living in the States and I know you're part Korean and I know you're a New Zealander, but we feel like you're one of us. <laughs> well, I, I kind of have a spot um, in my heart for Australia and you know, obviously it's a place that I've had a lot of great memories and um, you know people have kind of taken me in uh, as your own. Um, so yeah, no, I think there's a little bit of Australian in me, for sure. I think there's a lot. And <laughs> Don't tell fact, the Kiwis. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll keep it on the down low. Um, your golf career, actually, strangely enough, well, in a quirky way, started in Australia, in Wollongong. Is that right? Yes. Um, my aunt was over there um, as uh, like a professor um, that came over for a few months, and um, we went and saw her, and... No, at that point, um, I didn't really know golf, and um, she would go out and play when we came all the way to visit her, so she was the first one that kind of took me out to the golf course and got me to hit a shot, and I can't remember, but apparently I made contact, and um, so they <laughs> thought that was pretty cool, so yeah, no, it kind of started from there, so yeah, no, definitely, uh, it's kind of the starting point for me uh, when it comes to golf. Yeah, Liz, before we kick off, we're kind of going to do something, given there's not a lot of golf going forward, we're going to do, if, with your permission, a little bit of a retrospective look at, at your kind of life and, and career. Um, can you just tell us what your reality is like at the moment, whereabouts in the world you are and what kind of stuff you're getting up to day to day at the moment? Yeah, um, I'm in Orlando, Florida right now. Um, it's, it's beautiful weather. It would be beautiful weather to be playing a lot of social golf. <laughs> um, uh, but no, it's obviously with the situation going on around the world, it's, it's definitely the most important thing is, is to be, you know, healthy. Um, I think Tiger Woods also said the same thing. You know, it's, there's a lot more important things than, you know, playing competitively, um, which I, which, you know, is, which he's right. And, you know, I think the safer we are and the more, um, I guess less contact we have because you know with this obviously you don't know if you've got it or not um, as signs kind of show a little later so yeah and I'm trying to get some golfing um, you know in my backyard work out um, but uh, some of the golf courses I belong to they're, they're open so I've been trying to get out a little bit but definitely different to not being not playing competitive golf in, in March right now where it's a pretty busy time of the season for us and one of my favorite swings on the calendar but uh, also looking forward to going back out there and you know, I think the sooner we kind of have this handled, the sooner we can go out and play but yeah for sure um, health is the most important thing so 
yeah, safety first for sure. Oh, it's no surprise to hear you have a, a brilliant and uh, and very healthy perspective on this. Uh, can you talk just a little bit? Like you were kind of the you were the OG, as the cool kids say. You were the original in terms of like being kind of a, a child phenom uh, in golf. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like growing up in terms of having having that attention from the public and from the media? You know, in your early teenage years when you started getting really good. Um. You know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of times I'd go in the media center and they'd be like, oh, you know, what do you feel like? You know, you're called the phenom or you're the youngest ever and, and all those names. But to me, even at that point, I and even now, I don't feel like I was a phenom or, you know, um, I think I was just very fortunate enough to be able to play on tour at, you know, a little bit of a younger age than, you know, our minimum and, kind of get these opportunities and, you know, to play the Australian Open and the New Zealand Open as an amateur, I think it kind of gave me a pathway to that led to the point now. And um, I'm always grateful for everything that happened in my career. And you know, a lot of things that I could have only dreamt about kind of came true. And because a lot of good things happened so fast, you know, expectations built up to, but um, I think everybody has, career is a little bit like a roller coaster and the person that can maintain those ups and downs or those downs to not be as severe I think those are the players that are going to have a long um, successful careers but yeah no it's uh I, I don't I still don't know if I deserve those nicknames or those titles but um it's it's something that you know I always feel like now you know it motivates me to keep working harder and you know, to be you know, to play more consistently. So when you were, okay, so when you were walking down the street at home, say you're 16, by this point in time you've got titles under your belt, um, you're becoming a little bit of a household name in New Zealand. Are people are people stopping you and asking you for, for your autograph back in New Zealand? Are you getting requests for media? Like what was the kind of, what did the hype feel like to you as just a young Kiwi? Um, nobody really back home, like, asked uh you know for a photo I was like hey are you Lydia Ko um but I do remember once I went to the bowling alley with my friends and then like the people that was like bowling like a group of um friends that were bowling uh just in the right lane of us um like kind of kept looking over so that oh man they might have recognized me but I'm not a very good I'm not very good at bowling so <laughs> you know it wasn't like I was in you know very comfortable spot and I I bowled one and went right in the gutter. So I was like, well, that's a good way of showing uh, my bowling skills. But no, I think that's you know, it's also the nice thing about New Zealand is you know everybody like obviously I, I'm not like the most famous person there. You know, there's our prime minister and so many other athletes and you know other um, famous people. So it's I think everybody kind of just sees and go, oh, that's cool, and then just walks by like like I would do when I see a celebrity or an athlete. So, yeah, um, I, I never really, you know, no, I always like it when people come and say hi, and especially like junior kids who, who like play golf. But other than that, um, I don't really get you know, bothered or you know, nobody really comes over. <laughs> well, you are, you're, you're arguably one of the most approachable people I would say in worldwide sports, but I have to say, you know, that's when you know you're famous is when you say, no, there's people more famous than me, like the prime minister. 
No, it's just like obviously our former prime minister, you know, loves golf, um, Sir John, and um, you know, I think that's the great thing about New Zealand is like you're very like laid back, and you know, if you didn't know, like you wouldn't be able to know, and I think that's a real like a great trait about you know our country itself. What was the what was the first big event sorry Hazy like when you when you first got a, like invited to something that was kind of next level in terms of you know did you get invited to go to you know like the prime minister's house or to a, a super swanky kind of function like what was the first one for you where you went oh I'm actually ru- really rubbing shoulders with some incredible people um I remember I went to like a New Zealand ambassador's house when we went and played the Queen Circuit Cup um, in India, I think. Yeah, I think it was India. And then we did, like, um, is it croquet in her lawn, which was pretty cool <laughs> um, to do that. And then and I was able to play um, golf with Sir John uh, when he was uh, a prime minister at that time, um, and to kind of see his bodyguards and all that, I was like, Ooh, I feel protected too, even though I'm sure they're only protecting the <laughs> prime minister. Um, but no, it's, uh, I mean, I think I've been pretty like fortunate, um, and I've been lucky about like the people that I've met, and, um, you know, uh, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so you, you talk about the prime ministers and the dignitaries, Lydia, but. I know you've become pretty good mates with people who are way bigger than that in New Zealand, namely uh, those gentlemen in the black rugby tops. I know you're great mates <laughs> with a lot of all black, but particularly Israel Dag. Would that be a fair thing to say? Yeah, um, I met Izzy for the first time at the New Zealand Open, and I can't remember exactly what year it was, but I think it was at Clearwater. And um, at that time I didn't really know a lot about rugby when they're growing up in New Zealand and um, you know somebody told me hey there's an all black here his name is Israel Dag and um, I was like oh cool and then I got to take a photo with him and I think that was like on the newspaper that day the day after um, which is super cool and I just remember him being like so down to earth and such great energy and so kind and when I was turning pro when I made the decision to turn pro along with New Zealand golf and a few other people involved. Um, Izzy uh, was able to help me uh, do kind of my pro announcement video that I thought was a hit. (laughs) Um, uh, And, you know, I think through that we were able, we were, we got closer and, you know, he came out to, and we've, we've done some like cool videos like doing cricket and, and all that together. Um, and he, he's a huge um, supporter of golf and he loves golf himself. So, yeah, no, he's he's been, um, he's always kind of given me some good advice here and there, you know, told me to embrace, you know, each and every moment. And, um, you know, it just shows, you know, he's obviously an amazing athlete, but at the same time, an even better person. Before, I'm sure Ali's going to ask you about, you know, things as your, your career progresses, but one of the guys who probably, uh, I'm assuming, with, and that's what I'm going to ask you now, so I don't have to assume that uh, the guy Wilson is, the, is you know, still revered by you, and I, I don't know if he's still in contact, but he was the, the bloke who put you uh, as your coach into these early positions of prominence. Are you still in contact with him, and what role do you give him credit for? 
Um, I haven't been, to be honest, I've been in touch with them a lot, but I know, um, but it's also due to me not being home very often. Um, you know, uh, but every time my dad goes, I think uh, they kind of catch up. And um, I heard through Sir John Key that a uh, guy had um, a baby, um, I think, at the end of last year or to the fall of last year. So that was kind of the last time um, I was able to message him through through Sir John. Um, but no, you know, obviously he did. Uh, him and everybody at Institute of Golf did help me to get to the position I am. And I'm grateful for all the time and everything uh, they put in, especially, you know, Guy being uh, probably the majority of my time in New Zealand uh, was my coach uh, for that time. So, yeah, no, it's uh, always I have a lot of good memories um, with him, starting from, you know, the first golf club uh, I was a member at in New Zealand. And, you know, uh, we spent a lot of time together and I think that, at one point, he was much more than a coach to me. Lids, now we're going to have to live a little bit vicariously, potentially, through you this year. We're looking forward to Tokyo 2020. It's unknown as to whether or not that's going to go ahead. Um, can you? Can we ask you, you, you know, the silver medalist um, in Rio, What when you look back on, on that week, what your what what were the memories that you kind of took from it what were the standout moments for you not necessarily even on the golf course but even in the village um I well first of all I had my first ever hole one in the 2016 Olympics which was super cool um (laughs) that year I I think at KPMG that year on the first round or something I hit a shot into par three and it went in the hole and came out and nearly went in the water hazard. And then the next day on a different hole, I hit it like right to the pin. It hit the pin and came out. So I was thinking, oh, man, you know, hole-in-ones and I aren't really, we're not in the same vibe. Um, And I remember on the eighth hole at Rio, um, it was the toughest pin on on that green. It was behind, it was kind of a back left pin behind the bunker, and it ran away. Um, behind the green so uh, in my head obviously this isn't what I think a very good course management uh, I guess thought is but I said (laughs) let's not plug in the bunker and let's not go long let's just hit it on the green and I think I hit maybe a seven iron and I hit it and I was going towards the pin and I saw it land on the green and I was like phew okay not plugged in the bunker tick Um, and then (laughs) the ball kind of disappeared and I think because I was like so into like what hopefully wasn't going to happen that I couldn't celebrate and that it was kind of the last thing I expected and it went in and I was kind of like oh my god like I, I didn't even know how to celebrate um but I know that some of the New Zealand hockey men's team uh like uh athletes were out there so I think they took a couple of videos of me taking the ball out of the hole and um, for me, I think one of the most memorable was on the last day. Um, I think like around maybe 50 or just under New Zealand athletes came out and watched me play. And you know, obviously not being able to go back home very often and not being like not crossing paths with other New Zealand athletes. It was super cool to be able to meet some of them and for them to come out and support me. And I know that yeah. one of the gold medalists, he hadn't been to a golf event before, so he tried to climb the grandstand from back 
back over because he wanted to see my putt on the 72nd hole and apparently got told off by the guard. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's like it's things like that, um, you know, it's, it's super memorable. And, you know, I know one of those gold medalists brought their gold medal to come and watch me play too. <laughs> but, so as he was doing the security and body scanning, it was definitely beating. Um, but <laughs> no, it's, uh, I think those are some of the best memories. And obviously being on that um, podium, uh, is is such a cool feeling because you know you see people like Usain Bolt and you know it's something that you see on TV and I think you just even though you dream of that moment you just you can't really embrace it enough. So so did it surprise you with how much it meant to you in that respect? Like to see the New Zealand flag go up and you know obviously as golfers we all grow up dreaming of winning major championships. Did the uh, significance of the Olympics surprise you and what it meant to you straight away? Yeah, I mean, even I knew it from the first hole, the first day, where in the practice rounds I didn't feel nervous, and even in the in the in the uh, I guess my warm up going to the first hole, and I put on the first tee, and I was so nervous that I was like, "Thank goodness I've got a driver with a lot of surface area, or if it's anything smaller, I could possibly <laughs> miss my club." And it was probably one of the worst t-shots I've ever hit um on the first hole and um you know just I think like even that week I didn't really have a very good start and you know I kind of made my way like through the second day and third day and obviously was in good position on the fourth day and um you know when that putt you know went in the hole in the 72nd hole um for birdie um I felt like tears were going to come out but then I saw that MB wasn't crying, and if you know, I said, "Hey, the silver medalist should not be crying when the gold medalist is not crying." So it was, it was, I think, a very emotional week for me, and it was a moment that I've been dreaming of since 2010. So it's, it's definitely a dream come true, and you know, that that silver medal will be you know, any of my trophies for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, it's obviously always going to be one of the one of the highs of your career. And, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about the you know the, the ebbs and flows of a career. And one thing that seems to have always been kind of um, ever standing throughout that is your your optimism and your positivity. But I, I imagine when you've got kind of people criticizing you about things like coaching changes and you know and what kind of workouts you're doing and all that that kind of jazz, is it easy? to kind of lose sight of, of who you are and your own goals when you've got that stuff going on around you? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're making decisions at the end of the day, you try and make it, you know, the best decision you can and you know, try and, you know, make sure that you're making the best decision for yourself. And sometimes um, when you, you know, hear other people's opinions and thoughts, you kind of second-guess yourself, I guess. But, you know, for me, I I have no um, regrets in any of the decisions I've made. Obviously, I made a decision and I made another decision. Um, but, you know, it's, I think it's a learning process. And you know, this is my seventh year on tour. And, you know, in some ways you can see I've, I've been on tour quite a while. And, but in other ways, it hasn't been that long. So I think I'm still learning more about myself and the journey and, um, you know, I, I try and stay focused and try and do what's best for me. And sometimes that's not everyone's going to like that. But um, I think the more time you spend, 
like on tour, I think you end up realizing that, hey, at the end of the day, you know, you can't make everyone happy and you just got to do what's best for you and, you know, make sure you're happy uh, along that process. Lydia, uh, the grand old age of 22, it seems like <laughs> you've been in our sort of lives forever, which is a great thing, by the way. But I remember the first time I met you, which is at Commonwealth, and I want to say it was 2011, but I might be wrong. Uh, and you told me in an interview when you were just a, a babe that you had it in mind to shut down your golf career by age 30 and, and do your university studies, which you've obviously done. Is it still on your mind to give it all away within the next eight years or is it sort of a fluctuating thing? You seem to have been adamant on that for so long. Uh, definitely, I'm still shooting for 30. <laughs> um, still shooting for 30. Sometimes on my bad days, I'm shooting for 28. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, uh, I think that's a, a good age for me. Um, the fortunate thing about golf is that, you know, as long as you're healthy, you are able to play for a pretty long period of time. And I've talked to some other players and they said, hey, you know, you get near that age and then you end up wanting to play more and more. And you know, there's not as many good opportunities like this you know, anywhere, uh, which which is so true. Um, but, yeah, um, I, am, I haven't finished my studies yet. And, you know, I would love to finish that uh, at some point in time. And that might be when I retire and then do some more studies on top of that. Um, but I've played golf since I was five, and I think 25 years into one sport is enough. But, you know, <laughs> golf has given me so many, like, opportunities. And, you know, through golf, I, I was able to meet so many great people. So, you know, a lot of lot to thank for. But you know, there's stressful times you you, you want to pull your hair out. You're like, ah, I'm going to quit now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, there's one, it's those good shots and, you know, that those good moments are the ones that, you know, keep making you come back the next day because you know what it's like uh, when you're playing good and, you know, you feel confident and you feel like you're able to hit shots that, um, that you can imagine and, and, you know, manage. Do you remember individual shots? Um, I don't really have good memory, but I have a pretty good memory when it comes to golf, yes. Okay, so I won't ask you about your studies in that instance, but I will ask you, I will take you back. Um, and I want, I want to say, uh, was it last year or the year before now when you beat uh, Minji Lee in the playoff in, yeah, in San 18. Francisco? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you walk us through the near albatross? Because, I, I, I mean, we love you dearly, Lydia, but you broke a lot of hearts in Western Australia that day. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, on that last day, uh, you know, I was actually even playing. I was playing with Jess, who's one of my closest friends on tour, and um, I kind of had a rough start. And I hadn't been in that kind of position in a while. And you know, San Francisco is, is a place where I've had a lot of good memories, and it's been really kind to me. And um, I was able to kind of play really solid in the stretch to um, give myself to be in that playoff or win. And and my chip. Uh, nearly went in on the 72nd hole and I was kind of gutted that it didn't go in at that point but obviously <laughs> making that birdie gave me that opportunity and you know being in the playoffs with also one of my you know close friends Minji um it's it's never easy you almost feel like when you're doing a player you kind of want to go against somebody that you don't really know um but you know Minji is probably the player that I've 
I've I've known the longest on tour. Um, since we were maybe around our teens or maybe before then, and um, we both hit a great drive. And um, you know, Minji is, is a pretty long hitter, so I knew that you know as the days getting cooler, um, you know, our balls are only going to get shorter, and at one point, I'm not going to be able to reach the green. Um, and you know, I hit. I, I, I hit a really good three wood, I think, on like 15 or something uh, in the regulation round. And um, I said, okay, I'll, I'm going to hit one of those uh, at that point, like uh, a kimchi three wood, I say, like a really, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as pure as I can hit uh, in a solid three wood. And I hit it um, and, you know, it, it was going over the trees. So that was kind of job done and you just, you can't see the green, so you can't really see where it ended up. But the the crowd, the roar was kind of getting louder, so I knew it was close. And as I was walking, I kind of saw it. But definitely, um, you know, the best shot I've hit in my career so far. And um, I'm not really sure where the three wood is, but I should be very, very nice to it. <laughs> <laughs> you should put that one up on the wall. What about, so you've got the kimchi three wood. Do you have a paddle over four on as well? Uh, no, I don't have a forehand, but that, that three wood, <laughs> I think, you know, at the time I was like, when I really want to hit a crushed, like solid three wood, I'm like, okay, let's hit a kimchi three wood. Like, <laughs> like, like, you know, my South Korean, like, you know, background in there. Um, but no, it's, um, it's definitely the best shot I've hit. Um, and to kind of set it up and obviously Minji hold that, you know, great birdie putt before me because, if she had missed it, you know, it made it would have made my well, three footer or something less stressful, but she made it and I felt like she would and then I was able to make it and I think it was it was pretty it got pretty emotional for me. Yeah, well Liz, it sounds like we've at least at the very least this interview's got you out of doing the dishes, which is great. Great news <laughs> for you. I did do the dishes this morning. <laughs> okay. Mom said maybe Good. not twice a day. Yeah, we're um, lovely about that. <laughs> so glad to hear that you're you're pulling your weight even now. And uh, look, it's been an absolute joy for us to chat with you and watch your career. And we'll do so obviously with interest and optimism going forward. But thanks so much for joining us today on Inside the Ropes, Leeds. Oh no, thank you so much for having us. And you guys stay safe. And hope everyone that's listening stays safe and, and stays healthy. Likewise. All right, we'll be right back after this on Inside the Ropes. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to the show. Great to have Lydia Ko um, with us on the program. Did a great job, El, um, turn her up, and it was great that she was able to have a chat to you two gurus. Hazy, there'll be a lot of people listening to the show who um, in various frames of mind about the demise <laughs> of handicap. Um this was a bit of a this a bit of a, a sore spot for a lot of people who have come to love this app. Um, take us into as deep as you can into the decision making about it. Well, I think various frames of mind is just a um, a very loose frame of reference, Andy, because I think it's been one frame of mind pretty much across the board. Um, it's been an avalanche of uh, criticism about what's happened. Um, Honestly, if I'm going to be fair income about this in the next few minutes, it's been a truckload of abuse, which uh, has no place on social media and will not get a response from me or Golf Australia. If you're an idiot on Twitter or, or Facebook, you can just 
bashed up your jumper, basically. It's not going to get a response. You're not going to get heard out. If you've got something to say that's constructive, by all means, voice your opinion. We'll take it all on board. People think we don't are crazy. Um, but, I, you know, my Twitter's been awash with stuff. Golf Australia's even more so. Uh, first and foremost, Golf Australia apologises. Uh, there's no doubt about this. But to say for the people, and they know who they are, who are straight out criticising us for lying through any of this, uh, maybe I can lay a few things um, to rest here. Uh, there were issues, as we explained a couple of months ago, when there were technical updates. Uh, we worked our best and perfectly with the owner of Handicap to, to get it back up and running. Uh, negotiations at that point, because we knew we were coming to this stage. Um, it, it was going to be a point where there were, um, and I'm not a technical guru. I know there's people who, very well-mannered way, by the way, have pointed out to me that we've, we've highlighted security problems as being a, a key concern. Uh, and they point out to me that yeah, there are ways around that. Uh, what it boiled down to was a, a commercial negotiation between the owner of Handicap and Golf Australia, given that at some point we were going to uh, insist that there be no scraping of data being done. Um, the negotiation went in good spirits. It was it was well done. And if I'm if I'm being absolutely fair dinkum with you here, uh, which I need to be because we get we're we're getting poleaxed. For, for shutting down this app. Uh, and we tried our best to keep it up and about. The price difference between what we could we can potentially from here build, and I believe that work has already started. That's what we wrote. I believe that to be true personally. Uh, the price difference between what we can build an app for and what was being asked by the owner of the app were so far apart um, that it made no commercial sense to do it. Um, we wrote that negotiations had broken down that's exactly what happened. Um, it would be remiss of us to say that we're, you know, we'd, uh, it'd be, it'd be wrong for me to say that we uh, didn't, didn't let, we left no stone unturned because we could have kept going here, but you've got to come to a point at some stage and we reached that point. If we had invested all the money that was being asked of us into this app to keep it going and buy it, uh, we would be pilloried by another group of people saying we're wasteful with their own money. So you're, Golf Australia is caught in an absolute no-win position here. I think protection of data is not a bad thing to fall back on as a, as a, as a starting point, uh, even though there are some people with better technical brains than I have who can figure out ways to do it without jeopardising people's security. Uh, that's the lie of the land. There's, there's been uh, a negotiation that's fallen over. We are already in the process of starting uh, to build our own app where that gets to in this current environment and with money tight, obviously, for every sporting body in Australia, who knows? But, you know, don't don't get on there and be an idiot and abuse us. It's, the people know who they are. I, I'm, I'm not even going to um, respond to you. You're, you're, the, the vast majority of people uh, who are nice about this, I will try and get back to in the next few days or weeks. But don't expect anything if you're abusive. I think that's fair enough, mate. Um, so that's the position, and we'll wait to see um, you know, how, the, how the, the, the next iteration of that app um, develops and, and comes along. Um, what else? Are there any other bits and pieces before we wrap it up that we want to get stuck into? I know you have a bit of a... Yep. Oh, no, I was just going to point out that, that, I mean, there was actually a little bit of golf that was played um, last week in... Uh, in Arizona and Phoenix, um, Anna Nordquist um, played on the Cactus Tour, essentially based in Arizona. Arizona's um, total cases of 
Corona, I, I think, is still under 100. I feel like they're taking as, as many precautions, obviously, as they can. Um, her, her words were that she'd be out playing golf anyway, regardless, um, and playing competitive golf didn't actually change, you know, more or less touching or, or in terms of the physical contact. Um, there weren't that many people out watching, obviously. She said the only thing that was a bit weird was uh, she was in a playoff with a fellow Swede and it got to the end and she won, and you have that little fist pump moment. And then you go to hug your opponent and then they had this super awkward exchange and ended up uh, elbow bumping each other. Um, but, yeah, so that, you know, that went ahead. It's, it's good to see Anna finding some form. She has been inside the world top 10. Um, Solheim Cup player had slipped, I think, nearly outside the top 100 in the world. Um, so it's, it's kind of nice to see her regaining uh, a little bit of momentum after some pretty big health issues with glandular fever and, and a couple of other things. So, um yeah, it's tricky to know how to react to those wins, yeah. I think, in this environment. You know, do you applaud it? Do you, do you question that whether they should be there or not? Regardless, they're just the facts. Um, that's what happened and that's part of, I think, our job in the media is just to kind of report it potentially without um, judgment. Another cool thing that happened was uh, a, a bloke that usually plays on the PGA Tour um, of the, the Latino-American um division of it um jared detoit he actually shot 59 in the final round last week um on the outlaw tour again based um predominantly in arizona and he actually didn't win <laughs> oh what? i know you shoot 59 and then you get you get beaten in a playoff um from will bateman who's from canada so imagine that imagine going through all that and then uh, and not walking away with a w but you know something anytime you, you shoot a 59 it's, it's pretty cool, pretty incredible under um, tournament conditions. So there is a, a little sprinkle of golf happening around the world that we can still keep you up to date on. What's the best name of it? There's the Cactus Tour, the Outlaw Tour. I don't think it even beat the Tropo Tour, but there's some good names for some tours around the world, aren't there? This, this is good. There's a maybe a little shout-out. If anybody can think of a better name, for, better name tour out there, let us know. What's the tour that your mates go on, Andy? What do you call that? Blue Jacket Tour. Uh. Okay. One for Murray Masters, but that's not going to take over from the Tropo either. Hey, uh, before we wrap it up, Hazy, a shout out. I mean, we, we, we're obviously with with less golf to talk about. We we want to, you know, keep this an interesting and and you know uh, a podcast for obvious reasons. Um, and there's going to be some stories out there that are worth worth telling, and we'd like to hear them, right? Yeah, and the more grassroots they are, the better. I think um, I've been left with um, probably not quite enough time to organise one. I know there's a couple of women in Albany and WA who had a hole-in-one on the same hole during the same club competition at the weekend. So I'll endeavour to get them on or at least one of them on the podcast next week, and we'll try and do that. So if you have a great story to share with us of something quirky that's gone on in your neck of the woods, even if it's not right now, but maybe in the last few weeks if you're not playing as much, um, get in touch through Twitter at inside the underscore ropes um, or through Golf Australia's Twitter. And also, Andy, in a few weeks' time, when we get around to Clates on our own roster, we're going to reinstitute hashtag ask Clates as well. So um, that's going to be a very loose set of questions and answers, I could imagine. So, yeah, a couple of things. If you want to get involved, please do. At, so on Twitter, at ask, sorry, at inside the underscore ropes so um get, get get involved with us yeah and i think you know just on that note hazy i feel like it's it's a great 
time potentially for us to get to know some of the uh, the characters within the game here in Australia as well. So if, you, if there's someone that's truly outstanding at, at your golf club in regards to either building the club or or the life that they've had, bring it on. I want to know those stories. So, yeah. you know, opening that up, I think, um, you know, there's no time like the present for it. Yeah. Good work, you two. And you, Falconer, we couldn't have done it without your technical genius. Uh, I can see you're very, very happy with yourself as you... Uh, just pat yourself on the back back there in the right-hand corner. Uh, it's an unusual time we're in, folks. Uh, uh, and, Andy, one, one question. Are hairdressers an essential part of society? Are hairdressers still open? Well, I wouldn't have thought they should be considered essential, but I believe they are still open, yes. Because I think if, if there's one thing that's essential is that if we take a screenshot of this, we need to get Falconer a haircut quick smart. <laughs> Yeah, no, his his self his self isolating could reap reap all sorts of um, unwanted dividends. I reckon. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to look like Pocahontas by the end of this by the end of this thing. My my hair's already growing out of the screen. It's, it's very long, Alison. Uh, if only I had the same issue. Hey, uh, <laughs> thanks for being part of it. Good to see you three. Uh, we'll be back next week to do it all again. Um, all been in these unusual circumstances. Inside the ropes, 156 done and dusted. We'll see you next week.